What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host. He just won the award for Outstanding Achievement in Popular Pod, Dave Martinson. I'm so happy to get the next best thing. <laughs> Pat, how you doing today? I'm good, man. We got a lot to talk about today and we're going to be talking about some some reviews and things we didn't get to. Obviously, a lot of culture came out, but... We're always playing catch up, so we figured take a week. Let's talk about some of the stuff we think we should be talking about, and we'll get to the other stuff a little later. So before we get too far into anything, hit that subscribe button. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and give us a follow there. Share us with friends and also follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod, uh, where we tweet about a lot of stuff we don't talk about in the pod. So we'll keep you up to date on everything. We kind of alluded to it in the intro. This Oscars news last week. They're going to be making a couple changes, but the main one, that there's going to be a new category called Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film. And you said, you know, the second best thing. Do you really feel like this is the second best thing? Because I feel like this is, is this even an award you really want? There's a lot of snark going around about it, right? And I think it really depends on what the award is defined as. Uh, the criteria is all TBD still, or at least not public yet. So I think there's a lot still to be known. In theory, I think it's a good idea, but I understand why some people are making jokes about it. Just to start, if your film was nominated for Best Achievement in Popular Film, Best Popular Film, and you're not nominated for Best Picture, like, does that feel like you're a, it's like a slight against your movie? That it was, wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but nominated for this other category? On the other hand, the films that we assume will be in this category never get nominated for Best Picture, so they probably don't have that expectation. I could see going either way with it, but... And what do you think? Do you think this is a smart idea to add uh, to the award show, which they also said they're going to make a little shorter? My assumption is that this is going to have something to do with box office numbers, because there has to be some way to determine what makes a movie popular versus, I guess, technically unpopular or not as seen. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm off on that, but I think in that case, a lot of those films are made in a different way and with different scope in mind films that usually or have been getting nominated for best picture are not the huge budget movies most of the time it's the indie films it's the the stories that you know are a little bit more human but don't draw as big of a crowd shape of water made like 60 million last year exactly so great point smaller fare so it's the it's type of thing where I, i i do think there should be a way to honor it but i think where the issue comes in is something like black panther which in and of itself is a, a just a good movie. Ryan Coogler absolutely nailed it. We we reviewed it, so go check that out at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. It's right on the fringe. It's kind of like Dark Knight when it didn't get nominated, but people were saying it should have been. And my fear is that people will say, ah, oh, we'll, we'll just nominate this one or we'll vote for this one for most popular. And then these movies that should be getting at least a nomination for Best Picture will end up actually not getting nominated. There's a lot of pl- plus and minuses to it, but I think that's my major concern. Yeah, I, I always think, like, would a film, like, get out? If it came out a year later, be in this category instead, you know, have some less prestige to it. That is the fear, I suppose. But also, I mean, you remember 2016, there was a lot of buzz for Deadpool getting Mm -hmm. some attention. 2017, last year, there was a bunch of Logan, Wonder Woman, Girls Trip. Earlier, 2015, but straight out of Compton. This year, in addition to Black Panther, Mission Impossible Fallout. There are popular films that are both well-reviewed and box office smashes. So I think adding an extra award for that kind of attention is a good thing to do. And yeah, maybe it'll bring some people in and help the ratings decline a little bit, sure. But just in general, I mean, anyone who's a fan of blockbuster films in general usually reviews them in a different way than we review, Mm -hmm. you know, some art house film that we'd expect to be in the running for Best Picture, right? Right. So 
I think this is just kind of an avenue for other studios that have different expectations to also get recognized. All these blockbusters now, they attract the A-list talent still, you know, it's not like they're like the scourge of the industry. They keep the industry going. So yeah. a lot of people being hyperbolic saying, oh, will you make it to MTV Movie Awards? I'm like, it's one it's one category. Yeah. And Best Picture is still going to be won by the movies nobody saw mm-hmm. writ large. So I don't see the comp there. So yeah. Yeah, I think once we know more, I think it, it should be cool. It'd be, it'd be nice to see, you know, those well-done blockbusters get extra recognition beyond just getting them dollars. Absolutely. Like Mission Impossible Fallout is something I think absolutely should be recognized at the end of the year for uh, how great of an action film it was. No matter what comes of it, if this is actually drawing eyes to films that a lot of people either aren't seeing or wouldn't give a chance to get a little bit more shine to see that, I don't think that's a bad thing. So I think the Academy is actually making some pretty smart decisions in terms of trying to make the Oscars more relevant and trying to make award shows just relevant, at least or at least more watchable might be a better way to say it. Someone that usually does pretty well, at least with popular movies, Disney. And we've been talking about a streaming service coming out, and some details recently emerged about what this service might look like. It looks like it's going to drop the end of next year. What other news came out about it that has you, maybe your eyes raising a bit or you're intrigued by? Yeah, I mean, we're just really getting some official confirmation. The TCA, summer press tour and whatnot, and a lot of people are giving talks, and obviously with the... uh, Fox acquisition signed, obviously still getting going through, but looks like it's going to happen. Finally get to see what the next era of Disney's going to be, and part of that's the streaming service. And I thought an interesting thing to under- hear from them, from their mouth, was that the old Star Wars movies, all the Star Wars movies to this point, uh, will not be on the surface mm-hmm. right away because of the pre-existing uh, distribution deal they have through Turner through 2024. Which is actually some rights that they resold. So that's why they're on TNT and TBS. They sold those rights, I think, in 2016. So relatively recently for like a few hundred million dollars. And judging by the reports from Bloomberg, uh, it's not like Turner's, you know, anxious to sell it back to Disney and how can you blame them? So that was interesting. Also, with the Fox deal, meaning that Disney becomes the majority stakeholder in Hulu, 60% controlling. They said that there are rated films in the Disney catalog, as well as the ones they'll be inheriting from Fox and Fox Searchlight, would not be on the Disney streamer, would be on Hulu instead. So it's going to be a more family-friendly, you know, quote, Disney brand service. But they also said that it'll be cheaper than Netflix, perhaps, given the smaller catalog. So, you know, interesting to hear some of that stuff, but it's going to be a slam dunk no matter what when it does come out, but apparently it's still over a year away. Yeah, I mean, even just thinking about... When they do get Star Wars on there, finally, it may be a smaller catalog than Netflix. Obviously, Netflix is just pouring money into making their own content at this point. But it'll be maybe the most beloved catalog in any streaming service. I mean, not only the the films, you know, the animated films from our childhood, um, but the, all the IP that they've gotten. You know, you have Favreau making a Star Wars series. You have Lady and the Tramp coming out um, <laughs> on this a live action Lady and the Tramp, which is very in- interesting to to think about how they're going to make the, <laughs> those dogs. Why not, man? Uh, look, but yeah, exactly. Why not keep keep putting out stuff that you know is going to draw eyes? So Disney, it'll be interesting to see how Netflix and Disney exist, or if they can exist together. It's going to be a bubble, like we talked about before. Yeah, well, and it's interesting too because Netflix is still very much intertwined with this because similar to the Turner thing. Like the Marvel Netflix shows, they're, they'll probably never leave Netflix. I mean, maybe future seasons would go to the new one if they wanted to keep something grittier on this new service. But 
And then the I mean, A-Man the Wasp is the last MCU movie to be on Netflix, but all of the MCU is exclusive with Netflix. That's something they have to work out still or just let the deal expire. Yeah, no, it's interesting just because I think, I think the Disney streaming service price whatever will succeed just because of the ridiculous catalog. And you listen to anyone anecdotally speak about, you know, having children these days and they usually have to fucking rent or buy all like the Moanas and shit, right? Or they get lucky and one of them's on Netflix. So they're just going to hold parents hostage with this service and given the big back catalog, even with the holes, including high profile things like Marvel and Star Wars, it'll be a slam dunk. So it'll be interesting to hear more as we hear more about like the original content beyond Favreau and Lady and Tramp, but should be interesting. It's funny too, because we just had CBS All Access announce that they're doing another Star Trek series with Patrick Stewart. Yep. And it's like, I mean, yeah, you got to attract eyeballs too. You know, they have way less subscribers than we know Disney will have. So the streaming war is always interesting to hear something. I think as it ramps up 2019, that that's going to be the story is how uh, all these companies are getting ready for it. And then 2020 is going to be when the real numbers are going to come out and how people are changing their viewing mm-hmm. habits and their purchasing habits of these of these uh, platforms. So a lot of really interesting stuff. We'll be talking about it. So stay tuned. Let's jump into some music, though. And I want to start with, you know, we talked about Parquet Courts, a Brooklyn band that uh, dropped an album, Wide Awake, this year that I really liked. And then we were talking about maybe listening to the this Dirty Projectors album, and I was like, I don't know. Not, not super <laughs> intrigued by them. Gave it a listen, and I don't think it's a, a perfect album, but it's a, it's a fun and listenable album, and it's, I think it does a lot of interesting stuff. What was your take on, on Dirty Projectors' Lamplit Pros? Yeah, I mean, you you wait the flag. You said hard pass, mm-hmm. or, or pass anyway, so we, we didn't get to. I mean, the album came out on the 13th of July, so we're a little late, obviously, but... Yeah. I didn't have many expectations. I I know like what's their that big song that really off, off their song. last album. But anyway, like I knew their one big popular song, but I wasn't really familiar with the catalog. I mean, well, this is what their eighth record, right? And like they're one of those two thousand two era New York rock scene, but they're not like the Strokes or Yeah Yeah Yeahs. They're more like LCD Sound System and Grizzly Bear. Like you know, they're the Brooklyn adjacent. <laughs> they they are to the New York way scene, more right? Brooklyn than either of those somehow. <laughs> so it's it's interesting hearing a record from that uh mm-hmm. you know that that band uh, that, that that time frame now. Um, Interpol has an album coming mm-hmm. uh, later this month, and <laughs> Julian Casablanca's released a Voids record that we weren't too high on. Yeah. But yeah, so g- coming into it with that context, I didn't really know what to expect beyond my general distaste for uh, everything I heard from mm-hmm. Casablanca's. But I was actually pretty surprised and pretty entertained. I thought it was uh, really dorky. Like I thought, what's his name? Uh, Longstreth. David Longstreth, the yeah. only like remaining member of the band. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a, I don't know, a construct of puzzle puzzle pieces now. But he's still there, and it was uh, airy and light and fun. I thought like the horns and the keys and a lot of the songs was really cool. So I actually enjoyed the song, enjoyed the album. Yeah, you know, in in listening back to some of their older work, their last album, uh, their seventh one, which is self titled, came out last year, and it was uh, a little bit more vulnerable and. Uh, exposing than their other albums and darker too and it was written Mm -hmm. around a a breakup for Longstreth and he actually didn't even tour around it which I think was the first album they had done that in their whole career so he uh he came back with a much just more optimistic sounding album a lot of it's just very fun to listen to and there's a lot of like switch ups and you know you have very like Rock, classic rock sounding guitars that then alternate with these like plucky sounding acoustics 
and then the horns come crashing in you're like oh this is kind of like a party this is like you're out on a summer's day just like chilling with your friends um and he had a lot of great features on it too you know uh sid i think anchors uh the opening track right now she brings like a real like calmness to it which i think is is helpful and then he had rostam showing out on you're the one backing vocals which uh i mentioned vampire weekend at the end of last week's pod um you know rostam has been uh, doing a lot of collaborations that have been flying under the radar being pretty excellent this year so um yeah, there's there's a lot to like with this album. What was your favorite song? I really liked "What Is the Time," mm. like the mel- like the melody on that. Yep. But yeah, I mean overall, I thought it actually sounded pretty cohesive. Absolutely. You know, really, really flowed pretty well. And the song I was referencing, uh, the, the their hit I knew before was "Stillness Is the Move." Solange has a nice cover of that one. Ah. Uh, that's like that's like their most played one on on YouTube. Shout out Solange, man. When's she dropping an oh, album yeah. again? It's been about two years, so gotta be know, maybe soon. next year. Wouldn't be surprised. Probably my favorite song of this album. I really like I Feel Energy, but it's a lifestyle also really stood out to me just as like a really fun chorus to, to bob your head to. So uh, I think we recommend to give this a listen if you want just something light to chew on for your afternoon. Something that is, I think is a little bit heavier to chew on, but has me really excited is Her, H-E-R, which apparently stands for Having Everything Revealed. You reference this in, in our when the project dropped, she just dropped an EP for I Used to Know Her, the prelude. And it's her, up, like a, I guess, a teaser for her upcoming album, in a sense. She dropped two EPs, and one in 2016, one in 2017, a two-part self-titled uh, debut project, which got a lot of under-the-radar claim. And she has a really great sound. And it it's kind of crazy, because apparently... Uh, her is an uh, artist named Gabby Wilson who had her big break when she was like 10 years old and then started like appearing on TV shows up until she was 14. Uh, so mm-hmm. kind of a prodigy in a sense. Uh, Only 21 now too. Which is nuts because she dropped her first one two years ago when she was 19, that EP Her, which Rihanna was playing, just got a lot of love. Did you like this uh, prelude to her new album? Yeah, so I thought her volume one and volume two, the two EPs, which then she... released as a compilation i wasn't really too impressed with any of that i just thought she was like all right she's competent middle tier r&b nothing too special you know it seems people in the industry like her like working with her like she was on daniel caesar's album i was like all right cool you know me i'll keep checking that out but then on i used to know her the prelude this new ep which is only like what six joints yep i thought she sounded better i thought her singing was just better i thought her singing was pretty nondescript pretty average on, on the other EPs, and this one, it just seems more lively. I mean, Lost Souls is barely an R&B song on the first track, but she definitely has more presence on the mic now, yep. which uh, you know I find, uh, obviously, much more enjoyable and you know, just a good sign. Um, and you know, it's still a quick, it's a quick listen, obviously, to get another EP, mm-hmm. but um, it has me more interested in seeing uh, what she's going to put out uh, on RCA Records, and you know, I don't. I don't think she's of of the Georgia Smith class of new R and B figures, but um, you know, improvement at a young age is a good sign. So I'm gonna keep keep checking it out. What do you think? She reminded me a lot of SZA, actually. Um, which sure. uh, and they actually even look kind of alike, which is a little strange. They do, they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I went onto her Spotify, I was like, is this just like a SZA like pseudonym or like another? project she's like doing. kill edward is j cole you know it's right. one of those things <laughs> um yeah no i thought i thought 
there was a lot to like here. I didn't know if any song other than the first one, uh, Lost Souls, stood out. And she's it sounds like she's actually doing like a Lauren Hill impression <laughs> a bit on that one. Just Lauren Hill's back in a big way in twenty eighteen. Yeah, she's having a big year, man. We I mean, talk about winners and losers. I'm sure we'll do that that pod at some point. I think she's got to be in the winners and, and somehow. But yeah, I, it's interesting. I think that she's a very intriguing artist, and if you're looking for that like hazy like sitting in a room like just smoking chilling drinking she's a good thing to put in the background but it's nothing that pops off uh off the the speaker to me i guess um i think she can get to that you know georgia status and i I think georgia's gonna be like a rocket i think she's gonna be a huge artist in a couple of years but i don't i don't know if she has the same ceiling that that georgia has or yes is a yeah, exactly. I mean, right now I think of her. Uh, it's kind of insulting. I would say I kind of think of her like a party next door, mm. <laughs> or like um, like Sir on TDE. Yeah, like one of those R and B artists that's like Sal is going to put out stuff, mm. have fans. Um, on this EP, the second Bryson Tiller feature I've heard in like two months that didn't do anything for me. Bryson, uh, come on, man, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, her. There might be something there. Bryson Tiller, uh, a loser of this year, from, from this podcast at least. You know, it's interesting because I, I actually felt like there was there's some artistry in her work. Like she has a pretty, I don't know, I think a decent year for, for sound. But then compared to like the next artist that we're going to talk about, Tierra Whack, man, this, uh, this project is exciting as hell. Like I, yeah. you you mentioned to me that there was this fifteen minute fifteen song album where each song is exactly one minute. I was like, I have a feeling this is gonna be trash. <laughs> like that. I mean, we've been talking about how someone like uh, Ski Master Slump God, how shorter is better. Mm-hmm. Give us Ballet. tracks that are digestible. Yep. Exactly. But I was like, a minute? That's not. A, that's barely even a song. How can you make a song of that? And then I watched this this visual album with with Whack World. And man, mm-hmm. this impressed me. What was, talk, talk to me about your your impressions of Tierra Whack. Yeah, I mean, she only had a handful of loose songs out before this came out, and um, like officially as Tierra Whack. It's funny because like seven years ago, she started like freestyling at, under uh, the name Drizzy Driz. She's out of Philly, so she met Meek Mill back then. She met ASAP Rocky back then. She was on some radio stations like freestyling, just spitting and like showing her ability, right? Rocky actually compared her like sound like flow to Kendrick back then like seven years ago right when she's 16 so then she comes back now as Tierra Whack and the 15 one minute songs could be incredibly gimmicky and I do think that there is limitations to it but because this album like flips sound minute to minute yeah the, the, you basically flip all genres across this this album there's a lot a lot in there and it's funny that it's an album that you need to revisit to digest more despite only being 15 minutes long Mm -hmm. so well i don't think it's like the end all be all i do think there's limitations a lot of these songs feel like they're just picking up in the end and the next thing we go to like a jarring new sound for the next track so i think if anything this is just this amazing proof of concept that tiara whack is incredibly talented and uh has a lot more to show us but oh yeah it's impressive how fucking ballsy too for your first like real release to be like yeah, I'm going to do something that no one else has ever done. And uh, I'm not only going to make this album that's a heavy concept album and very, uh, you know, very experimental, but I'm going to 
do it with this video that is out there and the but it switch and it switches up constantly and she tries so many different styles uh i give her a lot of credit because i mean i don't think this is the best album of the year but it's probably the most inventive one we've we've reviewed mm-hmm. um For and sure. not only that but the songs on here are good like there i i wanted yeah. more from a lot of these songs you know oh yeah that that's the thing it's like some of the time it's disappointing that the song already ended because <laughs> you're like this song fucking slaps yeah you know? And she's funny too. Like I found myself during some of these songs being like, I had to go back and listen to Cable Guy because I was like, Am I hearing this right? <laughs> it's, I think, go ahead. I think Pent Cemetery is the same uh, way. It both sounds awesome. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It has a double meaning. You know. Yep. Uh, there's a lot. Pretty ugly. There's a lot. Of, mm-hmm. A lot of songs like that. Yeah. I cannot say anything else. Any, any you know more anything negative. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I feel like. Uh, this is, I mean, it's a solid album in and of itself, but I feel like this just makes me want to hear more of what she's going to be able to do and how she's going to be pushing, you know, albums, what it means to make an album, what it means to yeah, take a concept and, and really explore it. Um, it I don't know. It, I, I guess my hope is that she stays unconventional, but I at the same time, I really want to hear like a full length song from her. Like, I would love to hear um fruit salad well, she, like a full she does that yeah exactly yeah. yeah she does have some full lengths but i think now you know with this in mind this right. level of artistry achieved mm-hmm. you know what can you do like she has like incredibly high ceiling now mm-hmm. in terms of like the next record she makes she can make something really really special right you know if it's more conventional and you know it could be she could tell a great story you know she clearly has a lot going on so uh again very impressed it's worth everyone's time because it doesn't take any time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although you might need like 30 minutes because you got to listen to it twice, which is incredibly hard to understand, but it's kudos to the work, man. It's good. What was your favorite part of the video? Uh, I, I jumped around a lot, but I thought the video was cool. I mean, it's honestly, it's kind of a no brainer. With yeah. a record this small to do one of those, you know, get yeah. on your lemonade shit. But yeah, the video's dope. I, I thought probably Fuck Off was my favorite one where she's singing in this really high pitched voice about this like ex boyfriend and going around cutting the balloons as she's doing it. I thought that was <laughs> awesome. Also, Dr. Seuss, how she like comes out of the house at the very end, like breaks out of it, I thought was very cool. Um, yeah, and probably my favorite song was probably Pet Cemetery on this. Just it's so catchy. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I would love to hear her actually make that a real song. Um, so just a lot to love here. Um, any last thoughts on this before we move on to Saul? Just definitely listen, listen to your whack, tell people about to your whack and not mainstream, not getting a lot of, uh, I mean, she, she's got some like features and like profiles on like the fader and stereo gum and stuff, but you know, she's very unknown still. So spread the word. Yeah. If you want to sound like you're, uh, like a true rap head and like, you know, like what's good, be like, yeah, Tierra Wack's my favorite new artist. People will, people will probably, uh, be impressed by that the, the best know. rapper out of philly yeah. is not uzi or meek mill it's tiara <laughs> yo but meek is still a vibe right now like me it is true he's having a great meek, year meek fucks with tiara though so it's all good talking about the winners and losers meek is a winner this year no doubt you know a show we've kind of neglected but is has been a winner every year we've been doing this pod and just keeps getting better better call saul and i i actually you know when i when i moved I wasn't like super excited about getting cable, but just based on the way the cable down here works, they were like, you can pay for internet or you can pay for cable internet for the same price. And I was like, right. oh, okay, <laughs> sure. Like, Do you have a phone as well? No phone. 
I was not <laughs> I couldn't I didn't commit to the phone. But I was like, all right. And then one of the benefits has been all these shows that I had to wait to come out on you know uh streaming service in some way i'm not able to stay on top of and i am so excited about that because better call Saul season three blew me away four. and but now oh, we're oh, on right. season Sorry. four and i am so pumped uh and this first episode is also started off great let's talk a little bit about um season three though because we didn't really review it last year um what were your impressions of that or what stood out to you yeah i had it in my top 10 last year but again we didn't talk about it too deeply because you were mm-hmm. behind on it but the show just continues to get stronger and it's incredibly impressive, which is on a meta level really awesome to see because a lot of people doubted the show for even existing as a prequel to, you know, one of the golden age dramas, Breaking Bad, right? So the fact that it's been able to get so much better and intrigue greatness on its own is a testament in itself. But season to season, it's continuing to improve as well. And last season just the way everything happened between jimmy and chuck really coming to a head in the chicanery episode master class of writing and skilligan and peter gold are just you know world class obviously and that's despite the fact that like there's not like hard action in this like breaking bad actually had a fair amount of action from time to time right but even better people saw is more reserved and more uh, like strategic and it's plotting you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of acting with faces and a lack of action being by design mm-hmm. so i think just as the shows can even grow grow this the scripts get better and you know everything just flows in an amazing way you just have to have a certain level of patience to watch a show that's about the details it doesn't necessarily hold your hand big fan of the show and i like the premiere for season four yeah season three i think you know you mentioned chicanery which was i think obviously the highlight probably the best episode the show's ever done and the way michael mckean like falls apart Mm -hmm. at the end is like i mean give him the emmy for that scene alone but like you said the details there there will be times when i will you know i'll check my phone while something's going on with mike ehrman trout and then i'll come back i'll be like ah fuck i have to rewind because i know i missed something little that's actually going to make a difference to like what's going on in the story and it's so masterfully crafted in the way that they interweave all the stories because you basically have three stories going on you have uh you know mike ehrman trout kind of like how he's getting involved now with the mexican cartels you have Mm -hmm. hector versus gus and and nacho and what's going on with him within hector's squad and then you obviously have jimmy versus chuck and now this season it's i think it's going to be a little bit more of uh jimmy turning into saul goodman it looks like and we'll talk about that in a second but the way that they seamlessly go between those and have like little through lines and uh change like change it up between like you know like the nacho story kind of being like the c or the d story for an episode but still being some of the most intriguing stuff uh just amazing and probably the person that gets the least shine but shouldn't is uh ray seahorn who plays kim re seahorn plays yeah she's great dude she is fantastic and she plays kim so perfectly and brings so much heart to the show with that i mean jimmy i think is the heart because he's really this guy this decent guy who just can't stop doing shitty things to try to get ahead um but he's he's decent until yeah he throws his business uh, a way to get irene standing back with her friends in the, the nursing home he's, he's a good yep. guy but kim is just like she's the heart that makes this show beat and i'm really interested to see where how things devolve with her and jimmy moving forward because i feel like that's going to be the emotional climax of season four 
Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, leading up to this, you know, all the press Vince Gilligan and Bob Odenkirk and all of them have done, they're like, yeah, we're at, like, the door of Breaking Bad. We're close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, judging off the events of the finale in this first this new premiere, I mean, uh, Hector's going to get in the wheelchair. We assume yeah. from that stroke, right? And Jimmy uh, emotionally might be taking a turn, obviously, he was very cold to Howard at the end of the premiere with the, I guess that's your cross the bear mark. Yeah. And he goes whistling in the, in, in the kitchen. It was a nice callback to, uh, when Walt, uh, was really nonchalant after Todd shoots that little kid at the train. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we might be seeing a shift for him and, uh, you know, I think it, that's something that people have always kind of been like, oh, like. Is it going to get there? Is it going to take its sweet-ass time? Blah, 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 right? And the show has already been renewed for a fifth season, which sometimes can be a bad thing if, you know, we're coming to the end. But I think, you know, I trust Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold to, you know, have a plan in place for this. Mm -hmm. And I think everything's just... (laughs) It's just so interesting watching the characters be the characters because they grow and evolve so much Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's tough. Can I really predict what's going to happen this season? Really, no. I mean, maybe does he become Saul straight up this season? Yeah, I guess. But I don't have much else to predict. But, like, we got the Lydia name drop. Mike is in uh, that company now. That was a big part of Breaking Bad, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're getting there. So I'm intrigued to see how how, how it works, you know? Well, and I think the the other intriguing thing about this show, and this is something that the writers have talked about, is that Saul, you know, Walter White dies, and that that story is over. Then Saul doesn't die at the end of Breaking Bad, but and assuming what we see from uh, his time in in Cinnabon is, I think his name is Gene at at Cinnabon. um, There, there could very well be part of a season, or maybe even a whole season, dedicated to that. And what's going on yeah. with him as, as a way to close out his story. Gilligan said that that time is essential to understanding his arc and, and how his story finishes. So season five might not be the last one, although it would be interesting to have Breaking Bad be five seasons, then the, the prelude to it be six seasons. But <laughs> still, uh, I mean, the other thing I think is really interesting is Odenkirk. I don't think anyone ever thought he had chops like this. And he's obviously been a rising star since breaking bad and he does a lot of voice work and you know he's in the post last year uh and he's gotten more dramatic roles but like his performance in uh i think it was called smoke this last episode yep it's that's the those are the type of moments seeing just the way he suddenly plays you know the the turmoil that's going on behind saul with his brother's death and making sense of his role in it is is really impressive and uh, i just think this show Probably can't be any better than it is, but they kind of keep pushing it forward. So I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised by anything. Yeah, on that note, I mean, they they take their time with all the subtleties, right? Like Nacho when when they show us Hector going in the in the ambulance, and all we get is Gus giving Nacho a little side eye to show that he's suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. And then we don't we don't see him in in the wheelchair. We don't get that obvious conclusion right away. We see. Nacho agonizing over how to dispose of the pills, you know, and that's like there's a lot of time dedicated to that, something that's relatively inconsequential, mm-hmm. but just you know that's just the way the, the show is plotted, and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah so. it's human. It's just, I mean, uh, I guess my last question for you, and, and maybe you have some other things you want to talk about here. Um, Muhammad Ali versus Bruce Lee. Who you got? 
I also had that written down. Yeah. Um, so I'm not like super well versed in Bruce Lee's real abilities. I know like some like MMA heads are like he wasn't a real fighter. He was more showy. So like I don't actually know like what the right side of history is on Bruce Lee's real abilities. Mm-hmm. But I do stand by the things the fact that I take an MMA fighter over a boxer yeah. in a real life fight. So assuming they're both in their primes. And Bruce Lee was the real deal. I'd go with him. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Give us the uh, McGregor versus Mayweather fight in the octagon. I want to mm-hmm. see it. Um, any last thoughts on Saul? Uh, I think one of my favorite things about Saul is that every time it comes back, I watch Breaking Bad clips on YouTube for like oh. an hour and a half. <laughs> Just like remembering stuff. Whether it's me like remembering like, how did, what happened with Tuco again? Like how did Tuco mm-hmm. really impact everything or just watching like the great stuff like Osmandius or whatnot and it's just like Vince Gilligan is kind of underappreciated somehow you know he's, he's just he's quietly just cranking out breaking uh better call Saul and it's fucking superb and yeah, you dude. know it, it's almost like it's not like flashy or showy to talk about it or sing its praises you mm-hmm. know so but here we are yeah, Gilligan is uh, incredible, man. I mean, it's in a lot of ways. I I see like him and David Simon similarly, where they build yeah. these worlds so thoroughly, and they pay so much attention to detail and just making all their characters seem so human in different ways. Like, apparently Howard was supposed to be like the main antagonist mm-hmm. throughout the series, and then they kind of figured like, oh, Chuck fucking Jimmy over would be way better. And then letting Howard become humanized would make a more complicated story. And I was like, oh, that's such a smart way to not only build a story, but to also look at humanity and how things actually affect people. Um, Just, I mean, can't say enough good things about him. Uh, And then, I mean, this will probably be the last big show that we have right now for this year. I mean, what, Maisel comes out end of the year. I mean, not dated is Marvelous Maisel, but we have the Deuce coming back. Right. David Simon, Speak of the Devil. Insecure is back. Ma- Maniac, the Jonah Hill, Emma Stone reunion on Netflix from Kerry Fukunawa is coming. Homecoming, Julia Roberts' first TV show on Amazon is in November. There, there, there's some interesting stuff. I've, let's see. There's a few other things. So, I mean, that's crazy because like, we have now we have Better Call Saul. We already had Atlanta and Killing Eve and Succession and Barry. And glow, right? We had a great year, in my opinion. And the role in the fucking Matthew Weiner's follow-up to Mad Men, the Romanoffs, comes out in October on Amazon. A lot of good new shows. Mindhunter is, probably be yeah. back as well. The Crown will be back. So yeah, it's still, it's going to be a nice fall. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because I think it, 2016 when we were starting the pod. It was like a big time of transition. You know, you had things like Breaking Bad stopping, but Saul starting up. And now it feels like there's a big wave of really good new shows on the horizon. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Secession and Barry are probably the, the two most known ones right now, but you just mentioned a handful of shows that could all be in the consideration for best show of the year by the end of this year. Um, and you have shows like, you know, we said Saul probably is getting down to after the season, probably one or two more. You have Mr. Robot, which I can't see really going past a fifth season. Mm-hmm. So in the next couple of years, there's going to be a new guard. It's really, I mean, TV might not be peak, peak TV anymore. You know, you don't have the Mad Men, the Breaking Bad, the, the that sort of, those sort of shows right now. But you just have so much quality everywhere. And it's going to make these streaming wars even more interesting as they move forward. It is interesting, though, that, you know, there's no Wire, there's no Breaking Bad, there's no... Uh, Mad Men, but we do have the follow-ups from all those creators and right. Saul, Romanoffs, and The Deuce. 
So yeah, that's that's something, right? S- same and people. De- the Deadwood movies out. coming back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I watched the first season of Deadwood, and then I didn't follow up with the second season, but. Probably should get get to that before that movie comes out. There's so much TV to watch, though, dude. And like we we're not we didn't even talk about the Americans yet, just because we haven't had time to catch up. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, so uh, yeah, a lot of stuff to be looking forward to. Stay subscribed to Nostalgia Pod. Uh, what do we got next week, Dave? Everyone will know we didn't talk about Black Klansman this week. That's already out from Spike Lee. Amazing reviews. I've seen it already. It's awesome. But we'll talk about that next week. The best debut record, New Zealand rock band that we both really like, is also out. We'll talk about that next week. And then we'll also talk about stuff coming out this Friday, namely uh, albums from Nicki Minaj and Ariana Grande, uh, Mitski as well. Yeah. Little Little Pumps also dropping, Harvard Dropout. <laughs> uh, Moses Sumney dropped the three-track EP. So stuff we don't get to, check out our Spotify playlist as well. We update that all the time. But yeah, a lot of music and Black Klansman next week. Nostalgia Best of 2018 on Spotify. Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. Uh, SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod. And if you're watching this video, you probably already know where to find our YouTube video, but you can search Nostalgia on YouTube and you'll find us there. We got a lot of stuff to be talking about. I was just list- listing some things I'm excited for for the end of this year. And there's a, a ton of good movies. And I think if we look at like the three spheres we usually look at, which is TV, music, and movies movies has probably been the one i've been least excited for somehow which is crazy because i think it just speaks to how much good music and how much good tv there is right now just a lot of great content so yeah stay tuned and share us with friends help us grow we appreciate you we love you peace out